Welcome to this week's episode of The Digital Download. I'm Kate Hamer. I run a marketing and digital consultancy, Kate Hamer Limited. I've worked in large brands like Unilever, Disney and L'Oreal for over 15 years and a decade of that in digital. And I know how tricky it can be to keep up to date with the fast-moving world of digital, all the articles that come out every week. So this podcast will hopefully help you by giving you a summary of the past week's news and I also discuss key topics in the industry. Thanks, as always, to everyone who's downloaded it. Do subscribe, do leave a review, keep sending me feedback. Hopefully you'll continue to see improvements. I really do want this to be your podcast, so please do tweet me at KateHamerLTD or email kate at katehamer.com with any feedback, questions or topics you'd like me to cover. It's going to be a shorter podcast this week. Not a huge amount of news has happened, but I'll tell you the key things that you need to know and a few interesting articles that I've read this week as well. So we'll get cracking, starting as always with social media and Facebook. There was an article this week talking about Facebook wants advertisers to get faster. So they're basically telling brands to build better mobile web experiences that load more quickly. And they know from their data that 40% of users click away if a page takes three seconds to load. So this is obviously ads that are driving to a website within Facebook. They're also speeding up the process themselves because they're introducing new technology that prefetches the contents of an advertiser's mobile website and stores that contents in Facebook servers so that it can be accessed faster when a consumer clicks on the ad. And they are saying that they may prevent ads from showing to someone if either the website's too slow or it's not optimised for mobile. So it's one of the factors that they look at within their ad delivery service. And they've shared guidelines this week with advertisers on how to develop faster web pages, including things like using smaller files and less code in their sites. This obviously follows on from what they introduced earlier in the year, which was instant articles, which lets publishers host stories on the Facebook servers. Again, so they immediately load when clicking. And they also developed canvas ads, which are fast loading multimedia mobile ads which take up the full mobile screen and uh, Facebook calls them immersive. So speed is of the essence with Facebook. On to Instagram, big development this week on Instagram. You can now zoom in on both still and moving images. So it's only available currently on iOS, but they've said it's coming to Android in the coming weeks you pinch to zoom on the screen it doesn't stay zoomed when you let go though and some pictures can look pixelated but at least the functionality now exists which also means that if you ever happen to be snooping on someone's instagram pictures and you show it to your mate and they go to zoom and then accidentally like it which is always mortifying that now can't happen because you actually can zoom so great development there A second one is in terms of stories. So progressing even further with stories, they are adding the strip to the top of the explore tab of stories from Instagram accounts that they think you might be interested in following. So just like on your main page, you see stories from your friends along the top. When you go into the discover tab now, you'll see interesting stories from 
potentially suitable accounts for you to follow. I can't see it at the moment in my version of the app and I've got the most recent update so I think it's maybe hitting the US first but something to look out for. And as part of the announcement, Instagram was saying that over 100 million users are now taking advantage of stories. So that's about a third of its daily active users. So they've really been taking off. One interesting thing this week was that Social Bakers did a poll to see if people's use of Snapchat had lessened because of Instagram stories. And the results were 40% of people said no, it hadn't. 26% said yes. 28% didn't use Snapchat and 6% didn't use Instagram. Bit of an odd poll in that I'm sure there must have been some people that didn't use either. I'm not quite sure how they picked their group of people, but that was a little poll that they tweeted out this week. And then one final thing on Instagram, I read an article about their advertising. So they obviously have direct response advertising now. It's not, it's about a year old. It's not doing as well as Facebook. I think people know what they can get from Facebook. It's quite easy to measure the performance on Facebook. And so if they're going to choose where to invest, they're more likely to stick there. The stats are that Facebook's direct response ads generate 10 times more clicks to brand sites than Instagram. And that each click on Facebook costs one fifth of the price of a click on Instagram. So one area that Instagram seems to be quite good for is driving mobile app downloads. In this article I was reading, they'd interviewed various people from agencies and one agency was saying they'd seen good results there. The um, global head of business and brand development for Instagram says they're pleased with the performance that they're driving from ads and that they've measured a series of direct response campaigns and about 70% of them were able to generate statistically significant lift for online conversions and mobile app installs. I think people are still sort of struggling to get to a point of finding what's right in terms of an ad for Instagram. It's obviously not quite the same kind of platform as Facebook. It seems that the slideshow like carousel ads can be good for getting someone's attention and then building their interest over several photos or videos. So it's good for awareness and good for engagement. But the main problem that Instagram has got is the whole last click wins model in terms of driving conversion. And that's a problem for mobile in general, because we know that I think uh, Instagram did a survey that said 60% of its users learn about products and services on Instagram and 75% do something after seeing a post. But it's not necessarily immediate and it's not necessarily through Instagram. So in terms of being able to measure the direct impact of an ad on Instagram, there isn't really a way to do that. They have been working with advertisers and agencies to look at different approaches that can take into account the fact that its entire audience pretty much is mobile. So mobile optimized landing pages, wider conversion windows, because they might not act straight away, but it's still early days really. And I think people are still testing Instagram as a place for ads. On to Snapchat, just a couple of things for Snapchat this week. So one is that around the US Open, they have done uh, what looks like a video game within Snapchat and sort of 8-bit old style video game called Serena Matchpoint. And you can play as Serena Williams through 22 levels signifying 22 major events that she's won throughout her career. People are saying it's quite accurate in terms of the uh, kit that she wears for each of the games, but 
you basically have to strike accurately to send the ball to the other side of the net. You can play it by going to ESPN's Discover channel on Snapchat or there is a version on Gatorade's website as well because it's their ad but quite a nice use for Snapchat in terms of gaming. Don't know if that might mean that there'll be more game elements on Snapchat in the future but check that out. There's a link on the companion page. And then some stats came out about Snapchat this week. So we've talked before the 150 million users, including in the US, 60% of all 13 to 34-year-old smartphone users, 99 million posts daily. They spend 25 minutes on their daily and there's 10 billion video views a day. So video is obviously something that's key across all social platforms at the moment. On to Apple, date for your diary. 7th of September is the next Apple keynote. Apple are already tweeting about it to get people to put it in their diaries and stuff. So check that out. And I'll obviously talk about that in the show next week. And then another article that I read this week was talking about how they think that the next iPhone in 2017 may not have the home button at the bottom of it. So obviously that button doesn't do that many things. It takes up an area that could otherwise be screen. And there's also hardware behind it in the phone that doesn't necessarily need to be there. And you can now put uh, fingerprint sensors within a touch screen so in terms of touch id you don't necessarily need that home button so it might be that the the future iphones don't have that and they're just all screen on to twitter back in june twitter announced that they were going to be investing much more in video so having longer videos new ways to explore and then better ways for creators to connect with their fans and this week they announced some new tools that will bring video creators around the world the ability to upload manage and publish media more efficiently and effectively than ever before so it's called twitter media studio which um i'll put the link for on the companion page so it's a more comprehensive desktop destination to access all the video publishing tools and resources in one place so it's got features that can support in the upload of video content to twitter including a new unified media library so you can access all of your media videos gifs images in one place a new video tweet scheduling and planning capability so you can schedule unlimited videos and tweets new account access and permission controls so you can switch between accounts and then improvements in stability and upload performance and then they also had a section in their blog about monetization on this so saying that they're looking at the best ways for creators to seamlessly monetize content and generate revenue from their twitter videos So the Twitter Amplify Publisher program is their pre-roll monetization tool and it's currently available to approved creators in the US. But now international creators can use a tool called Niche, which again there's a link for on the companion page. And this provides creators with the ability to grow, understand and monetize their social presence across all networks. But Niche is part of Twitter since last year. So it works with 35,000 creators and links them with brands to get branded content. So there's links for all of that. 
There was also, speaking of revenue, an article on Recode that was saying that Twitter will be selling ads with creator videos and will share the ad revenue with those making video content. They think it's a bit of a shot over the bow of YouTube because according to this story, the revenue sharing policy is going to be better than YouTube's. So offering 70% to the creator and 30% back to Twitter versus YouTube's 55% to creators and 45% back to YouTube. So that revenue split for Twitter already exists with the Amplify video partners such as NFL. One little thing on Google. So there's a new thing called Google Waze, W-A-Z-E, which looks like it's going to be a cheaper ride service cheaper than uber and lyft so the going rate is 54 cents a mile and at the moment google isn't planning to take a cut so basically it looks like anybody can offer rides anywhere at any time and it doesn't look like google has any plans to do background checks so obviously uber have come under fire for their background checks and google is saying that it will let riders filter out bad actors via reviews riders are limited to two rides per day so it seems to be more a sort of carpooling service than a taxi service and seems to be more about alleviating traffic i think it's just launching in san francisco to start off with but if i find more out on that i will feature it in future podcasts also i read an article this week about internet service providers who block ads and porn could be in breach of updated eu guidelines on net neutrality so basically even if customers opt in to the fact that ISPs are blocking it, this could still be a problem. So currently EU regulations let ISPs block ads for three reasons. So to manage levels of traffic across the network, to comply with the member state's law or for security. But this revision to the guidelines issued by the EU body Berec states that blocked content, whether it's porn or ads, should be implemented by a customer on their device rather than on a network level. So SkyBT and TalkTalk all block access to adult sites at the moment and three recently ran an ad blocking trial that required users to opt in. At the end of the day, the ultimate decision is going to be with Ofcom in terms of whether any of these services are in breach of the regulation, but it looks like they might be. Quick thing on Amazon, Dash buttons have come to the UK. There's a link to them on the companion page. They're 4 99 each. They range from all kinds of things, from cleaning products. So you could have a button on your washing machine for your purcell. And when you know you're getting low, you just press the button and that sends the order through and you get it out to you. You could have an Andrex one by your toilet roll holder. There are toiletries ones for um, shower gel, makeup. There is a Play-Doh one. I saw someone share one for Nerf guns to do your refills for Nerf guns. And it's also possible to create your own dash buttons as well, which work for a thousand pushes. So these can be for your own products that you want to order, or you can also program them to do all kinds of different things. So they're just cool buttons that you can have around the home to connect with the internet of things and make your life easier. I read about a new startup in Australia called The Social Index, which has built a tool that reviews 
job candidate social media profiles. So basically the shortlisted job candidate gets an email with a unique identifier. They go through this authentication process, sign into their accounts for Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter. And then this algorithm within the program analyzes their social footprint and within 24 hours sends a report to both the candidate and the recruiter. So they look at factors like whether a candidate's posting, their interactions, how often they're posting. And the example that they're given of why that's useful is that if someone has applied for a social media role, for example, they might say they know social media really well, but then if you were to look at their profile, they're perhaps not as active as they say they are. They also gave some examples of if someone had applied for like a, a finance role, but it looked like they were quite active on social media between the hours of 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., then you could maybe question whether they were really doing everything they should be doing in their role. This concerns me. They have had privacy concerns, but they're saying they only look at public information and they don't share individual posts with companies. The only thing that I wonder with that is why do they need people to log into their accounts if they're only sharing public information? So I'm not sure. I think they've obviously jumped on the sort of bandwagon of knowing that recruiters are Googling candidates when they're deciding whether to invite them for interview but it seems a little bit over the top for me in terms of the way that you would analyse someone's social presence. I saw another interesting article in The Guardian this week about news publishers and basically that they might be getting as part of some reforms that the European Commission is putting into consultation in September, they might be getting more rights to demand payment from people like Google and Facebook in exchange for using their content. The proposals are really designed to try and shore up collapsing revenues of traditional media companies. So they're looking at the similar sort of rights that people have from a kind of musician point of view, record labels, authors, etc. The draft proposals are setting out preferred options and saying that the sustainability of publishing industries in the EU may be at stake with the risk of further negative consequences on media pluralism, democratic debate and quality of information. The digital groups have a strong bargaining position which makes it difficult for publishers to negotiate with them on an equal footing. So Brussels is looking at giving new news publishers the exclusive right to make their content available to the public and to reproduce it for digital purposes, which could mean that Alphabet, Google's parent company, might have to pay to use extracts of their articles in services like Google News. So the protection is known as neighbouring rights. And as I said, it already exists for performers, record labels and broadcasters. So they want to extend it to news producers, which is predominantly text-based journalism. So they're looking at different time scales as to how long the protection would last for. It might be as short as one year. It could be as long as 50 years. There isn't an obligation for publishers to make Google or Facebook pay to use their content though and it's felt that people still might not implement that requirement because actually they want to attract more readers and traffic that way. And all these proposals are part of the digital single market in Europe that they're trying to create which was first adopted in May last year and the overall aim is to reduce differences between national copyright regimes and allow for wider online access to films, TV shows, sports broadcasts and music by users across the EU which 
we may not even be part of anymore soon, but uh, that's a whole other podcast. A few little things from brands. I've put a link on the companion page to a Virgin Trains Twitter moment. So Richard Branson's use of CCTV on his train to disprove what Jeremy Corbyn was saying about seats being free somewhat backfired over the bank holiday last weekend because Twitter uh, people on Twitter were posting photos and videos to show that they've got no seats and saying like hey Virgin Trains can you use your CCTV and find me a seat so it's quite a cool little moment that was built out of them. Another interesting thing from a brand perspective was an article I read about Tommy Hilfiger and what they're doing for Fashion Week. So rather than having a kind of standard show, they're creating this whole carnival-themed party and fashion show called Tommy's Pier. And it's going to be... There's going to be 2,000 tickets that will be sent out, half for the public and half for people within the fashion industry. And this whole thing brings much more questions out about social media's impact on things like Fashion Week. So obviously the history of Fashion Week was that it was a kind of trade event. It was for editors from magazines and buyers to come and see the upcoming season's clothes and be deciding what they want to talk about and what they want to range. Obviously now with all of the proliferation of different social media channels, it means that consumers see it straight away as well. And that brings a bit of a difficult conundrum for designers really because obviously none of that product is going to be available that's shown in September until six months later but they need an element that they can get people to buy now from as well as driving excitement for a future collection and it seems that some designers are now actually starting to back away from that so people like Kate Spade this season are not actually going to be hosting a fashion show or presentation but instead they're just inviting press by appointment only and their social content will focus on their full collection that's on sale now. The only question is by people kind of stepping out and not giving that insight and behind the scenes element of what's coming up, do they create a gap that one of their competitors can get into? So it's interesting that there are no real guidelines at a, a fashion industry level in terms of how this should be addressed but the lines have definitely blurred between consumers and your kind of business to business side and it's hard to know what to show and what to hold back. So I thought that was quite an interesting topic. So I'm going to leave it there for this week. That's all the news that you need to know about. Hope you found it useful. I am starting to book in some guests for the podcast, you will be pleased to know. So keep an eye out for those. I'll announce them on Twitter in advance uh, of recording. And if you've got any questions for them, you can tweet me at LTD or you can email me at kate at kate kate hamer.com have a great week